Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. Today, we're going to be talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife and the mother of a nation. Sarah's story takes place in quite a few chapters of Genesis, but we first meet her at the end of chapter 11. Someone you might have already heard about is Abraham. He's talked a lot about, and for good reason. Well, Abraham was Sarah's husband, but before there was Abraham and Sarah, there was Abram and Sarai. The only thing we learn about Sarai in chapter 11 is that she is Abram's wife and that she's childless because she was unable to conceive. Chapter 12 immediately starts out with one of the best promises of the Bible. God tells Abram in 12, 2 through 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abram listens to God, and he takes Sarai, his brother Lot, and all of their possessions and servants, and they set out for the land God calls them to, Canaan. At this point, keep in mind that Abram is 75 years old. People in the Old Testament lived longer than people do now, but that was still getting up there in age. God shows him a piece of land and promises him that his offspring will inherit that land. And Abram builds an altar to the Lord there before he continues on towards another place. In the second half of chapter 12, we find out that there is a severe famine in the land, so Abram decides to take everyone down to Egypt. Personally, it seems weird to me that he would leave the land God promised him so quickly, but at this point, Abram is pretty immature in his faith, and I'm sure we can all relate to trusting in ourselves more than God's promises sometimes. The next part's rough. Abram tells Sarai that when they go to Egypt, because she is so beautiful, the people will kill him, but let her live. He tells her to say that she is his sister, so that his life will be spared. This is some selfish and fearful reasoning on Abram's part. Number one, he's sacrificing his wife's integrity for his peace of mind. But number two, God had just promised Abram that a great nation would come from him when he had no children yet. He had no faith in God's promise, and he trusts in his own clever deceit and his wife's beauty to save himself. When the Pharaoh's officials saw Sarai, they told Pharaoh of her and took Sarai to his palace, and he gave Abram livestock and servants. Because of this, God inflicts serious disease on Pharaoh and the people in his household. Pharaoh confronts Abram and basically says, Like, what the heck, man? Why would you trick me by telling me your wife is your sister? Take her and go. The chapter is unclear on whether or not Sarai actually had to endure anything with Pharaoh, so we could look at God sending disease as either a punishment on Pharaoh's unknowing adultery or as a preventative measure to protect Sarai. I hope for her sake that it was the latter. Sarah trusted God even when her husband chose not to protect her. The only good part of the whole situation is that when they left Egypt, they had a ton of wealth from the livestock and servants and even gold and silver. Yeah, I know, it's not exactly a big highlight. But then we move into chapters 13 and 14, which revolve around Abraham and his brother Lot. So we're going to go ahead and skip to chapter 15, because in chapter 15, God promises Abram an heir. Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 through 6 say, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now is where we get a better look into Sarai's character. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel goes on to tell her that she will have a son named Ishmael. And then in verse 13, it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So Hagar gave Abram a son named Ishmael, and Abram was 86 years old at that point. Okay, let's go ahead and unpack what we've read so far. First off, we see that lacking faith in the Lord is a couple's trait. Sarah also doesn't trust enough in God to wait for his timing. Instead, she gives her servant over to Abram and takes control of the situation herself. Sarah was getting old. She felt kept from having children as they had been living in Canaan for 10 years since all of the promises, and she probably thought she was doing the right thing. And using servants in that way was an accepted practice back in those days. A lot of us fall into that trap, though, right? We think that we know best, and we try so hard to take control of our lives instead of just giving God the reins. We allow doubt to creep in and affect our choices. Even worse, we can bring down others with us. Sarai's choices didn't just affect her. They affected her husband, Hagar, and Hagar's child. Her doubt caused recklessness. I'm going to bring back that term from Eve's episode, Aetzer. Sarai here is not representing what a woman should be. She's being weak and tearing others down. We should grasp onto the confidence that comes with God's promises. Be Aetzer, a strength and build people up. Be the kind of woman who leads others to good, not harm, like Proverbs 31, and exemplifies trust and faith and perseverance through Christ. Chapter 17 is where we get to witness God calling Abram and Sarai to a transformation. God appears to Abraham and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. God tells him that he's going to be the father of many nations, that kings are going to come from him, and that he shall no longer be called Abram, but Abraham, which means father of many. He tells him that he will give Abraham and his descendants the whole land of Canaan, and that he will be their God. Then in verses 15 through 20, it says this, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. 
kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful, and he will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So there's lots of good stuff to pull from this section. First off, we see Sarai become Sarah. Sarai and Sarah are different forms of the same Hebrew word that basically mean princess, women of strength. Sarai is the possessive form of the word, like my princess. Her name change to Sarah then signifies that her strength isn't something owned by one person, but belonging to the entire future nation of Israel. We see from what God says that even though Sarah and Abraham mess up a lot and didn't always trust him, he was still ready to bless them with this good news. Yet we see Abraham falling into his face and laughing at the absurdity of what God was saying. I mean, he is 100 years old and Sarah is 90, so it seems kind of funny. But God tells him he's going to have a son, one named Isaac, in a year. In the next chapter, Genesis 18, we see Sarah laugh at this idea as well. Um, in verses 10 through 15, this is what it says. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. That's a tough conversation to have with God, right? <laughs> Imagine the next time you are doubting your worth, your purpose, or God's words. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Like Sarah when she used her servant Hagar, or when Abraham used Sarah for his own safety. I've chosen a time or 20 to try and take life into my own hands, too. It's so hard sometimes to give up control, especially when we're convinced that we know the best paths to take. But a problem with gripping on too tightly to things in this world is that they're all temporary, even at their best, and oftentimes they let us down. We can put worldly things on a pedestal, like accomplishments, relationships, material things, beauty, the list goes on, but they make really crappy gods. They won't ever be perfect, and even though they promise satisfaction, we can never be satisfied by them. When you start to trust God with your life and loosen the control you've tried so hard to grip onto, there's a peace in that. Suddenly you aren't laughing with doubt like Sarah and Abraham have been, but you'll laugh without fear of the future like the woman of Proverbs 31. In Genesis 20, we see Abraham again repeat an old mistake of his. In a different place this time, he once again uses Sarah as a way to protect himself by calling her his sister instead of his wife. A man takes her for his wife, 
likely a more political style alliance due to her age. Uh, but I mean, it still could be that she was just a gorgeous 90-year-old. But this time, the text is clear in telling us that God steps in before anything happens. God comes to the man in a dream and tells him that Sarah is Abraham's wife. And the man sends both of them on their way, much like the Egyptian pharaoh. Same confrontation and everything. I mean, poor Sarah. Honestly, you would think that there would have been a lesson learned, right? Even though Abraham chose to sin again in this way against his wife, he was still a prophet and God's mercy didn't leave him, even when he didn't trust God like he should. But okay, this is a woman's podcast and I want to think more on what she's going through here. She's choosing to listen and protect her husband even at the risk of herself. The good news for her is that God himself steps in each time to protect her. And I I wish that's what happened every time. The truth is, though, that in the world we live in today, bad things happen. They happen to innocent people. They happen to women. They happen to little kids. In a world that's as twisted as ours, it can feel, it can be hard to feel safe and protected. What we hope for is that this world isn't our ending place. There's a better one waiting for us ahead. I feel my safest knowing that God is my refuge and my hiding place. Even when we've been hurt, we know that our God is the protector of our hearts and souls, and no one can ever take that away from you. If you've been hurt, please know you're going to be okay, that you're loved, and that what happens to you on this earth isn't what defines you. What defines you is God's love and how you choose to accept and spread it. As for the others listening to this, be Aetzer for those who can't. Be protectors. Be better than Abraham was when he was too scared to trust God. Genesis 21 is the climax of our story for today. In verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? I would like to first tell you that the name Isaac means he laughs. As Sarah says, God brought her laughter. But this time it wasn't laughter of doubt, it was laughter of joy, disbelief, and wonder. I really hope there comes a day in your life that you look back and see something God has done in your life and you can laugh out loud at the realization. I've recently started a prayer journal and looking over at old entries, it's crazy to see the way he answers or shifts my focus on old prayers. There have been a couple times I've let out a laugh formed from shock and delight sometimes at realizing he answered something in a way I wasn't expecting. 10 out of 10 would recommend the experience. The rest of Genesis 21 tells us more about Hagar, Ishmael, and their story. Basically, Hagar and her son are mocking towards Isaac, and Sarah tells Abraham to get rid of both of them because they're not going to be sharing in Isaac's inheritance. And this was Abraham and God's responses in verses 11 through 13. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. 
God tells Abraham to listen to his wife, but he still provides for Hagar and Ishmael too. Ishmael goes on to marry an Egyptian woman and prosper without sharing in Isaac's inheritance. Okay, so we covered a ton of Genesis, and Sarah's story is so wrapped up in Abraham's, I feel like we didn't talk about her enough. So let's do that. Hebrews 11, 11 through 12 tells us, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the same chapter that talked about Rahab titled By Faith. Even though Sarah was not perfect and she struggled with faith and trust, God still saw her as being worthy enough to be included in the Faith Hall of Fame, that is Hebrews 11. You might not believe it now, but God could use you for a big purpose too. There are a lot of things that you might think are too far-fetched, but God isn't limited in the people that he chooses to use or the purposes that he wishes to accomplish. Another place Sarah is mentioned is in 1 Peter 3, 3-8. through It says this, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. If this passage makes you feel uncomfortable, you're not alone. But if there's one thing I've learned from studying the Bible, it's that if it makes me uncomfortable, there's a chance I might not be looking at it correctly. There's always a chance that I'm also in the wrong, but first, it's best to look at the words themselves. So let's start with the beginning. This passage is basically telling us that it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It matters what we look like on the inside. Do you have a pretty heart, a godly heart? Okay, so what do you picture when you hear a gentle and quiet spirit? Because the following sentence says that this is how women who hope in God adorn themselves, this is what I'm inclined to believe. A gentle and quiet spirit means you have peace with God. Earlier we talked about the tension that comes from trying to control your life according to what you think is best for yourself. That breeds worry and anxiety and stress and all of those things can sometimes cause a bite when i'm on edge that's when i'm most likely to snap at someone and you might be able to relate all i'm saying is that when you trust god's got you the worry lessens because you give it to god and your ability to be gentle is gonna grow because of that next part the uncomfortable bit our society values freedom and i mean so does the bible so does god And the word submit, though, sounds terrifying, right? So let's destigmatize it and talk about what it means biblically. First, submitting to one's husband does not mean being used by your husband, especially if it involves anything sinful. And it also is in reference to marriage specifically. It doesn't say women should submit to men. I also wanted to point that out, okay? God isn't the type to encourage blind obedience 
or the tree of knowledge of good and evil that never would have existed in the first place. God didn't create women to be eighths or just so that they could be robotic and used as objects. Submission does not mean that you cannot state your opinion or disagree. It's not a sign of weakness and it's not a sign of inferiority. Submission in this sense is about freedom. It's about choice. I know it sounds really backwards, but let me explain. Just throw out your definition of submission for a second. Let me give you a totally different word to describe it or words. Okay. A wife should empower her husband and build him up. She should be an eighther, a supporter, and a comforter. None of those things should sound bad to you. Not if it's a good man, especially. And that's all that it means. That's, that's what submission is about. But also, that's the other half of the equation. It's about having the right man for a husband. Because the right man is supposed to respect you and protect you and be considerate of you. And if that weaker partner thing, by the way, made you mad, think about the context in which this was written. Not that long ago, women had way less rights and were at a disadvantage economically, legally, politically, not to mention physically. And people with privilege, in this case Peter was addressing men, should be aware of others' disadvantages and seek to support them. So that's all that's about. It's not about being inferior, it's about realizing that they were at a disadvantage. And Peter points out that men and women are actually co-heirs of God's gift of eternal life. That phrase right there shows that there should be an equality in marriage and between genders. The ending tells both the husbands and the wives to be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. With those kinds of attitudes, there shouldn't have to be fear involved, only confidence, especially when God is in the midst. Now, for my last point... Galatians 4, 28 says, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Isaac was a child promised to Sarah and Abraham, and because of Jesus, we are too. When we're saved, we are clothed with the righteousness of God. There's no race, no gender, no slave or free like Sarah or Hagar. We're simply heirs. We're simply God's children. We're simply loved. Well, that is everything I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about Deborah. I'm really excited about it, and I hope to see you then. If you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be really happy to answer anything that you have as best as I can. And if you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.